This episode of Eat the Rules is brought to you by You on Fire. You on Fire is the online group coaching program that I run that gives you a step-by-step way of building up your self-worth beyond your appearance. With personalized coaching from me, incredible community support, and lifetime access to the program so that you can get free from body shame and live life on your own terms. Get details on what's included and sign up for the next cycle at summerinandin.com forward slash you on fire. I'd love to have you in that group. This is Eat the Rules, a podcast about body image, self-worth, anti-dieting, and intersectional feminism. I am your host, Summer Inanin, a professionally trained coach specializing in body image, self-worth, and confidence, and the best-selling author of Body Image Remix. If you're ready to break free of societal standards and stop living behind the number on your scale, then you have come to the right place. Welcome to the show. This is episode 228, and I am joined by Emma Wright, and we are talking about how to end the food struggles and battles that happen at the dinner table with your kids. She is talking about how the pressure to have kids eat and look a certain way sets parents up for feelings of frustration at mealtimes and kids not knowing how to trust their bodies. We also talk about how to teach kids body autonomy so they can learn to eat intuitively and create an environment where eating feels easier. You can find the links and resources mentioned in this episode at summerinandin.com forward slash 228. I want to give a shout out to Lizelle who left this review I'm so amped. This podcast rocks and so does the whole movement. For the first time ever, the health world is making sense. Thanks, Summer. Thank you. Thank you so much for leaving that review. You can leave a review for the podcast by going to iTunes, search Eat the Rules, then click Ratings and Reviews and click to leave a review. You can also subscribe to the podcast via whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts, and that helps others to find the show as well. If you haven't already done so, make sure you grab the free 10 day body confidence makeover at summerinandin.com forward slash freebies with 10 steps to take right now to feel better in your body. If you can't spell my last name, just go to thebodyimagecoach.com and you'll find everything that I talk about on this show. So my son is three and a half and I feel like I, you know, kind of have a decent grip on how to teach him to be an intuitive eater, or I should say how not to disrupt his innate intuitive eating instincts. That's more, that's more like it. But even with that, like I still bump up against different struggles and, you know, questioning myself and doubting myself and, you know, sometimes using food as a reward and and things like that, that consciously I'm like, oh, this is probably not good. But in the heat of the moment, sometimes you just kind of got to do what you got to do. And I recognize that like, I'm not trying to be perfect here. So I don't really beat myself up over it. But it's a challenge like feeding kids is really challenging, or at least it can feel really challenging. And so I wanted to have Emma on the show. Emma's an expert in helping parents to end mealtime battles. She's an expert in helping parents learn how to raise kids that are really confident overall. And what I loved about this conversation was that her perspective on it is really different. Like it's a lot less about the food and more about the environment with which the eating is happening and 
learning how to like trust your child as a parent <laughs> instead of just putting the tools into place. So there's so much good stuff that I took away from this. And I think that if you're a parent, you're going to absolutely love what she's talking about here as well. One of the things we didn't mention in this show is that Emma has a Patreon account and you can find that at patreon.com forward slash Emma underscore right. It's to help support her book that she is coming out with. It's to help continue on with a book coach that she is working with. So I wanted to put that out there. I've linked that in the show notes. Emma Wright is an internationally recognized expert in raising decent human beings in our body obsessed world. Having worked with hundreds of parents in her coaching practice and online programs, Emma's proven that conventional parenting methods used to prevent body image issues are flawed at best and offers a groundbreaking new approach to those who are worried and frustrated. I think you're going to love this show. Let's get started. Hello, Emma. Welcome to the show. Hi, Summer. So great to be here. Thank you. I'm so glad to finally have you on the show. It's been something that I think we've been trying to coordinate for at least a year so, <laughs> or more. <laughs> I don't even remember. It's just the world we live in at the moment, isn't it? It's, it's really great to be here. So yeah, yeah. So I'm so glad to have you here. So I would love for you to just tell everyone, I mean, how did you get into this work? Like what inspired you to want to help families and other parents and particularly around like helping them with their kids? So when I get asked this question, the reason I'm like, ah, is there's a kind of a three hour answer, you know, where you, where I go through, I, you know, I found intuitive eating and health at every size and anti-fat bias all in this kind of awkward, you know, sequence. But I think the, I think the best place to start really is to say that when my children were born, I was kind of in the middle of this journey of going from kind of recovering from a really serious eating disorder to finding peace and freedom. And I wasn't there yet. I was still in this kind of, I'd sort of found this intuitive eating, but intuitive eating for weight loss, as opposed to, you know, real intuitive eating. And I was still in very, in this kind of orthorexic health kind of space. And into this, I had my babies and I was in my forties. So I was an older mum, and I remember very early, like, like there were still really, really newborn babies, holding them and looking at them earnestly and promising them I wasn't going to let them, if there was anything I was going to do as a mother, I wasn't going to let them have the same relationship with food and their body as I had. It was, it was just super important to me. It had been such a painful experience and I just really didn't want that for them. And in the space I was in, I really thought that the road to that was teaching them really healthy habits, making sure they ate, you know, a lot of vegetables, that they didn't want processed foods, they didn't want sugar, that they would get a lot of exercise. I'd I just exude my perception of their beauty and in my mind they'd kind of grow up slim and and fit and they'd have this great experience of their body. And like pretty much every parent I know, when you have these ideals, they almost never, <laughs> never go the way that we expect them to. And the food and body thing happened really, really quickly. 
as soon as we started the feeding relationship that you know they want they liked foods I really didn't think they should want and they didn't want the foods that I really did want them to want and this very early on started these battles and I was really anxious about this I had really taken it on like it was my job to make them eat a certain way and that that would set them up to have good body confidence and I'd really taken on the idea that it was my job to make them turn out slim and if they didn't that was totally on me as a parent and the battles were hideous at the dinner table like I was anxious they were upset we'd go out into public and at parties they were way more interested in the party food than they were in the party games I was embarrassed, I was frustrated, then they weren't as slim as I was sort of imagining they might be in in my mind, and then, you know, I had heard all the stories about how, you know, we've got to make sure they don't put on too much weight, and the dangers of that, and da 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 and then a kind of a moment really came for me where we had sweets in the house, and we very rarely because I was in the I was deep knee deep in the anti-sugar kind of space and I walked in and there was my bright you know vivacious child shoving sweets into their mouth and you know they just looked up at me with with this kind of fear and shame and guilt on their face and honestly summer it just sent ice through me I had really promised this child that that was not going to happen, not, you know, it was really, really fundamentally important to me and it really made me stop in my tracks and go, I'm doing everything I've been taught to do, I'm, I'm following all the rules that we hear, you know, your job to feed them properly, your job to keep them at a certain weight and it's really sending them down this route that I had promised them they wouldn't go and I remember feeling really, really confronted and very at sea, like, but I'm doing all the things. Like, I, what else do I do? Like, I can't do it any harder than I'm doing it. And it's just not going to, you know, the trajectory, you know, the path. Trajectory. Yeah. Thank you very much. <laughs> the path they were on with that fear and shame already. I just knew was going to not be in good places. And so really the only thing I could figure out to do was to go and look at literature. So I wrote a master's thesis in the 90s and I did have this kind of understanding of being able to look at studies and look at the methodology and understand whether they actually tell me something helpful or they just sound sciencey but, you know, have nothing helpful within them. And so I took that I took that ability and I started to look and see if we know how to raise children. You know, is there information out there? And I was sort of expecting nothing. Summer, you know, thinking, you know, I'm an educated woman. I'm in my 40s already. I'm not like a 17-year-old. You know, I've been around the block a few times. If there's information I was expecting, I would have it. 
And it was quite shocking to me the amount of information we have in this area. You know, the kind of the 80 years of data we have about how dieting doesn't work and how, you know, we can't affect the size of ourselves as much as we'd like to sometimes. It's, it's just we just don't know how to do that. And I was also surprised at what I was reading. Like, this is so fundamentally different to what I felt I had been taught, you know, or explained to me. Like, you know, nutrition is absolutely makes a difference, but not to the extent that I had really held it up. Like, you know, as a pie chart in terms of our individual health, I had what we eat and how much we move is kind of like 98% of it. So I was really surprised at that. And, and then I was really liberated by what I found. It just, I could chill out, I could relax, I could trust myself, I could trust my kids. It was just, it was extraordinary to me. The change, and first me personally, like all of a sudden in my early 40s, I had this space, and, and I know you'll understand what I'm talking about, Summer, I had this space in my mind where I wasn't thinking about food and my body from the moment I woke up to the moment I went to bed. It was like I had, I could think about other things. And I really, I had really taken on the idea that there was something in my psychology that was just damaged. It was just the way it was. I was going to be obsessed with food in my body. And it was extraordinary to me, having gone through all the work I had gone to try and get rid of that, that happened. And then the difference in my family was extraordinary as well. You know, like dinner times became fun. We started talking about each other and connecting and, and having a good time instead of me at the table going, eat another three bites or you don't get X, Y, Z. And then what started to happen was friends started to ask me how to handle situations themselves. Obviously, I was talking about my own journey. They saw a difference in me and people started ringing and saying, oh, my child has just said they, they'd rather be thin than do well at school. What, how do I handle this? And it started to get to the point where I was getting so many of these questions that I was like, okay, guys, can we get together and can I just tell you all at once because... I'm having the same conversation over, <laughs> over and over again. And so I got together this group of friends in, in a friend's living room and I kind of put together a, a very basic presentation and, you know, went through the whole thing. And at the end of it, unbeknownst to me, one of the mums there went to our school principal and said, what Emma taught us last night has blown me away and we all need to know this. Like, she's just highlighted to us why we're all struggling and why it's so hard and why we're all ashamed and why it's not working and and can you please get her to talk to the school because seriously it's just we all need to hear it and so he got me in to speak to the school and that's really the start of you know and then more schools and you know in this year I just signed a book contract with a local publisher to publish some of these ideas. So that's how I got into, you know, doing what I do today. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing your story because I just feel like, you know, a lot of parents can relate to 
that struggle and really feeling like you have really good intentions, like you had really good intentions. And yet, like, it was still very much influenced by like what wellness culture or diet culture. And so I think that it's and it's it's also like, it's just hard. <laughs> Even if you do know better, it's still really challenging. It's the most humbling thing in the world being a parent, right? Like it's, there's no place you ever get to where you've got it sorted, it all works and there's nothing, you know, no. absolutely. <laughs> it's really, really challenging. And then when you feed on top of that, all these, all these impossible ideals that have no basis in reality either you know it's just it's a heady mix of frustration yeah yeah and then the comparison culture i think too and the influence of social media on how we judge ourselves as parents and what we think we should be doing and what we think our kids should be eating and how you know what i mean like it's really yeah my husband and i were talking about it the other day we're like you just can't compare your child to anyone else like they just they're on their own journey they're going to do things at their own time that's right. We have way less control and influence over them, I think, than sometimes we'd like, you know. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and at the same time, you know, we are social beings. So it's important to us on a really fundamental level to feel like we fit in. So going against the kind of social norms is challenging on many levels. You know, you really have to – you really, it really takes courage and bravery. And I really have learned to be very compassionate and kind to people who don't have that in them, you know, who they just, it's just too challenging to feel like they're going against the community that they really, really need. You know, it's important to remember that. This episode is brought to you by Athletic Greens. Their product, AG1, is something that I use every day. I started taking AG1 because I don't have time to always eat a wide variety of foods. And with my son in daycare, I need my immune system to be functioning as best as it can. And AG1 saves me from taking multiple different supplements. With AG1, I can have one drink and I know I'm giving my body its best chance at better immunity and energy. With one delicious scoop of AG1, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and aging. It's got a mild tropical taste and goes down easy. What I love is that for every purchase, they donate to organizations helping to get nutritious foods to kids in need, including No Hungry Kid in the U.S. As well, they are a climate-neutral certified company. To make it easy for you, listeners, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash emerging. Again, that is athleticgreens.com forward slash emerging to tend to your health and arm your immune system in an easy and convenient way. Oh, yeah, it's hard. It's really hard. So I know one of the things that you had mentioned to me before was just that there's the two impossible tasks parents get lumped with are making our kids eat a certain way and making them turn out a certain size, which is sort of like was like the catalyst to 
<laughs> the struggles that you had. What is the impact of that on parents and and kids? Like when you sort of meet with parents or when you talk to them, like what do you see happening as a result of that? And then, you know, like what can parents start to do instead? Yeah, great. The impact is a real sense of fear and shame in parents and frustration. Like being told that our kids really, you know, healthy habits, it's imperative they learn them and that it's really on us if they don't. And then when we see our kids not do what we've been told is the outcome of some of the the things we're meant to do, like make them eat certain number of vegetables, make them not eat, you know, certain foods. There's this sense of failure that is really, when I work with parents, there's the sense of failure is really deep. Like, and there's this kind of sense that they're the only ones, like how come everyone else's kid is, is doing this? You know, how come my kid is the only one that doesn't like vegetables? How come my kid's the only bigger kid on the sports team? You know, there's a real sense of everyone's looking at me and judging me. And also it really steals the joy from people's families, from people's family life. And and this was my experience too, and it's really rife, is when you have that fear and frustration at the dinner table, it's really hard to connect and have a good time because you're too concerned with this other stuff that's going on. And then the impact on the kids is at a sort of fundamental level, the impact on the kids is kind of confusion. Like, why is it so intense? And this, I don't think is a conscious thing, but if you put yourself in the kid's shoes with a parent who's really trying to control what's happening, it's just a sense of, why can't you just let me eat what I want to eat? And also they start to separate themselves from their bodies, which is really what we don't want them to do, right? They start to mistrust their own hunger cues. They start to mistrust their own bodies, their own appetites, because they're often told they shouldn't want what they actually do want, and they should want what they actually don't want. So they start to get like, well, do I eat to please my parents or do I eat to satisfy myself? And so the long-term implications of that, I think we, you know, anyone who's listening to this podcast would be aware of some of the long-term implications of, of not being separated from your body, being ashamed of what you eat. It's really common for kids, and this had started to happen in my household too, is kids start to eat secretly. This is where kind of the genesis of binging starts, is, you know, we're not allowed to eat it at the table, so we'll eat it secretly where no one can stop us. And that's, you know, that feels shameful. And the great news is there is a lot we can do about this. There's a huge amount we can do and it can happen quite quickly. And if anyone's listening, if their kids have already started sneaking or binging, it's not something to be terrified of. It's absolutely lots we can do. So should we go into some of the... Yeah, definitely. I'd love to hear. Okay. So I think before I get into, before I get into sort of strategies and tools, which are great to have, right? I want to start off with a kind of a, a different approach. So there's lots of strategies and tools we can find, like 
giving kids agency over what they eat. So all the food goes in the in the middle of the table and they get to choose what they want. And we don't say anything. But what I've come to realize is that even with all those great tools, if we don't have a fundamental approach of trust with our children, all the, none of those tools will be very easy to implement. They will get stuck in this kind of, because kids really are tuned into whether we're being authentic with them. So it's like if you imagine your parenting toolbox has two hands. So there's two kind of things you can choose from. And on one hand, you've got what we've just talked about, a whole lot of kind of strategies and tools and and, and ways to set things up and ways to have conversations, which is all fantastic. And then on this hand is how you're approaching your child. So if you are putting the food in the middle of the table and having conversations about body positivity and how we all have different bodies and we're diverse and all that stuff. If you're coming to your children with a sense of, I have to fix this for you. I can't really trust you to make mistakes here or to figure this out. It's I've still got to, I've got to do it for you. Then there's no trust. And then these tools just, don't quite work. Does that make sense? So the first... Yeah, I mean, (laughs) I was just going to say, I feel like with everything with parenting, you got to deal with your own mental stuff first. (laughs) Like none of the tools work until you like regulate yourself. (laughs) It's so true, isn't it? That's right. It's the approach we have to change first and then the tools work. And I think parenting is a, you know, because fundamentally... It's our responsibility to keep them safe, right? It's, and particularly as as mothers, we have this kind of really important role of making sure that if they're sick, they get medical attention. If they're cold, they get, you know, they get shelter. And, you know, it's really our role. And it's also our role to let them grow into human beings who can figure stuff out for themselves. And so part of our role as protecting them is also allowing them to make mistakes and to figure stuff out for themselves. So really getting out of their way and giving them as much, as much, as many opportunities to learn from experience as opposed to what we want to do. And this is my biggest challenge as a mother (laughs) is wanting to give them the lesson that we've already learned so that they don't have to go through the pain we've gone through. And uh, <laughs> yes, <laughs> you mean we can't do that? <laughs> we, I know. Wouldn't it be amazing? Wouldn't it be great? You know, like if we could just do that for them and then they could just not have that. And there just doesn't seem to be a way to do that. They have to make a lot of mistakes. They have to make a lot of, you know, they have to learn from their own experience. And we know this, we really know this if we've been on an intuitive eating journey ourselves. We have to learn from experience. We have to learn how much is feels too too much for our tummy. No one can tell us that, right? We have to learn what we like, what feels good in our unique bodies. And with all these messages that are coming in, to mums in particular, but but all parents of it's our job to make sure they eat this and it's our job. That 
task of letting our kids figure this out for themselves is really, really challenging and so satisfying when we can get out of their way and just hold this space of trust for them. Yeah. Wow. That's really good. And so I know you've talked about before, just like the reasons kids eat, like what are the sort of, and understanding those reasons in order to be able to like help end the sort of food battle or be able to trust them. So what are the three reasons that kids eat? So the three reasons that kids eat, which is so helpful to have, you know, when you're really trying to practice this trust. So pretty much up until I, you know, when I was in this world of I'm going to, you know, my kids to eat vegetables and, you know, when I was in that world, I really thought kids ate for one reason, which was for nutrition, right? I was in that kind of world of, of, of that's why we eat. And kids do eat for nutrition, but it's it's only a tiny aspect of why they eat. So if you think about a triangle, and I know we, we often talk about food triangles, but this is a very different kind of food triangle. So at the bottom, kids eat for agency satisfaction. So if you think about, and I know that's a weird sort of term, but if you think about our kids are really trying to understand where they belong in our culture and feel significant. So these are like two fundamental drivers human beings have, right? We want to feel like we belong in our communities and we want to feel like we are respected and that we are valued and we have a place and that we are worthy of being in our community. And the way kids and all of us to a certain extent get a sense of belonging and get a sense of significance is through the attention we get from our peers and from our parents and through the agency we have over our lives. So our ability to make choices for ourselves, our ability to have power over certain situations, our ability to exert our free will. And it's really easy for parents to see children wanting attention, like Oh, and because children will get their power and attention needs met from us, and they'll either do it in a way that is pleasant for us or really unpleasant for us. And we all know that as parents, right? <laughs> We're like, leave me alone. So a lot of us can look at that attention and go, okay, so if I start giving them some dedicated attention, then the attention that's unpleasant can can kind of drop away a bit. But we often forget about this sense of power that's really, really important for them. And one of the things that children have complete and utter agency over is what goes in their mouth. We can't make a child eat anything. We can put food in front of them, but we can't make them eat and we can't make them sleep, right? They have total agency over those two things, which is really bad news for all parents, right? <laughs> I know, because those are like the only two things you want them to do. Would you sleep? You're so Eat tired. and sleep. You're hungry. <laughs> Something. 
right? And we know how good for, you know, we know how important these things are for our kids. And if we could just, if they could just do what we told them, we'd be great. But unfortunately for us, and but actually very fortunately for them, they get complete control over that. And so... When we know that, right, when we know we actually can't make them eat anything outside of coercion, force, or manipulation. So when we're starting to get into, if you eat three of those, you can have one of those, that's manipulation, and that's really short-term focused, right? That's in the moment, I want you to eat something, and I want you to comply with me right now, so I'm going to pull out the big guns. And that doesn't ever lead to good long-term eating habits, but that's a whole that's a whole other conversation. The important thing to think about in this conversation is we're talking about how agency is the first is the base layer of the eating satisfaction pyramid for kids. So when we trust our kids' agency, which means we don't get in the way of what goes in their mouth, they feel very satisfied in terms of their power feel satisfied in that situation and they don't need to battle us. They don't need to, you know, as soon as we get in there and go, no, you need more of that, you need more of that, often it's not about the food at all. Often it's about the power battle that's going on because they need the power. This is really important for them. They need to have that agency over what goes in their mouth. And so the very first thing for parents to do is to think about how do I give that agency back to them? And that's why things like putting the food in the middle, getting them to serve themselves, this is all agency, right? This is all power. They have the power to put it onto their plate. They have the power to put it in their mouth. And we do really well as parents to not even comment, right? To make no comment, good or bad, make no encouragement and make no praise, make no, just leave them to it. And if we're going to talk about the food, we can talk about things like, did you like the texture of that? Do you think that would be nicer if it was warmer? Would that be better chilled more? As opposed to how many bites have you had? Do you want to try some of that? You know, like really step away from conversations about about what is going in their mouth at the, in terms of the amount and the choices they are making in terms of. So that's one way we can really start to fill our kids' agency needs is to really give them that, get out of the power of that. You know what I mean? Didn't say that very well. Yeah. So let me ask you this though, because I feel like people would hear this and then they'd be like, okay, Emma, so what? Like, I'm just supposed to let my kid eat like gummy bears all day? Like what? <laughs> you know what I mean? So we go, right? We go, really? So yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So what I'm not saying is you just give them access to whatever they want, whenever they want, 24 hours a day. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that we don't have rules at the table. Like you need to sit up, you need to use your manners, you need to come to the table. And I'm not saying, particularly for younger kids. So when I say younger kids under eight, I'm not saying we don't have rules like the kitchen's closed now, but we'll be having dinner in an hour. You know, if you're hungry, wait for an hour. That's not manipulation or force or coercion. That's, there are some eating rules in our house. And it's not about the amount or what is going in their mouth. It's setting them up. And, and it's saying to them things like, it's really important that you learn to feel your hunger. 
And it's really hard to do that if you're eating all the time. So that's very different to you've got to eat three more bites of broccoli or you've had too many chocolate chip cookies or you see that the rules are really around how we manage ourselves as a community, not what is going into your individual mouth. Okay. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And so I said that's up until about eight. And then it's my opinion that as kids get older, so we're talking kind of at the start of puberty, at kind of nine, from sort of nine up, their power needs get even more intense. And oh no. I hate to tell you, (laughs) we can work with this, right? This doesn't have to be scary if we know it's coming and we know how to handle it. So if we are trying to close the kitchen on a nine-year-old, on a 10-year-old or an 11-year-old who now possibly has their own money, so can possibly go to the shops and buy stuff for themselves. And so if we finding that there are battles that are starting to arise with older kids when they didn't before with younger kids, then we can look at that power structure. And it may be time to say to them, look, you know, I'm still treating you like a nine-year-old and now you're a 10-year-old and we need to change. There's no such thing as a closed kitchen anymore. It's really up to you to eat. If you don't want to come to the table hungry, that's totally your your prerogative. See, we're coming from that trust, like trust them to figure this out. They might go through a few years where they just need to test that out for themselves. But honey, you're still required to be at the table and sit with us because that's our family time. So you're still really creating that community for them and you're creating and you're letting them know that they are a significant and worthy person within your family and you want them to be there. And they can also make other choices about what they eat. So this is a great segue into the next section of the triangle, which is when we eat, children and also adults, we're also satisfying our emotional needs. So, and this will make a lot of sense to a lot of people, is eating is not just about nutrition and it's not just about a power trip it's about kids feeling comfortable and it's about kids feeling belonging and that's a real emotional satisfaction it's not a nutritional satisfaction so our kids so those all those celebrations we have in cultures where we have religious celebrations, we have family celebrations, we celebrate birthdays, we celebrate achievements. It's no surprise that food is is a really integral part the world over of all those celebrations because we're connecting on an emotional level. So there's two kind of parts to it. There's There's the emotion of belongingness with our community over shared meals, which is... One of the reasons why family meals are such a great experience for everyone when they are a nice place to be. Not such a great experience when there's battles. And so creating that emotional safety for your children at the dinner table is as important as the nutritional value or more in some ways than the nutritional value of what's going in their mouth. So... We've got the agency at the bottom, 
We've got that emotional satisfaction. And it's really not until those two things are satisfied for children that they can even have a conversation about the very top, which is nutritional satisfaction. Or said another way, when those two things are really, you know, when they've got their, when they've got total agency over what goes in their mouth, they're allowed to say, no, thank you, I don't want any of that, and no one's, you know, or, and then there's emotional satisfaction, they know they belong, they feel very comfortable to eat what they want to eat, no one's going to tell them off, no one's going to get upset with them, that's also an emotional satisfaction. So then once those two things are satisfied, then kids can start to think about, yeah, you know, I do sleep a bit better if I make sure I eat two really satisfying meals early in the day rather than snack all day. Or they may go, you know, I feel really better. I feel much better if I have a really light breakfast and then my biggest meal of the day is in the middle. Or, and some kids may be like, well, I just, my body just feels better if I, if I have, you know, five or six quite small meals each day. But they can't connect to their body in that way and trust themselves to make decisions for themselves that are really about their unique body if that agency and emotional satisfaction is not there. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I feel like that would be the same for adults too. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. Like if someone's listening to this and thinking, okay, you know, if someone's listening to this, because a lot of people are probably listening to this and still kind of in the process of healing their relationship with food. And and it's actually the exact same thing as sort of what you're talking about, about giving yourself the agency and the autonomy and, Instead of it being like the parent-child relationship, it's like the diet culture person relationship and trying to reclaim your agency from that. Yeah. I'm so pleased you said that, Sam, because, I mean, my focus is kids, but it, it's absolutely, and it's it's a lifelong healing process, isn't it, in a way? Like, I still, years into this, still can feel when that emotional satisfaction goes for me. You know, like I'll be potentially sitting in a restaurant and unable to order what I really want. And it's a sense of, so my agency's suddenly gone, right? Because it's not really what I want. And my emotional satisfaction's gone because that is driven by fear or shame. And then, you know, there's no way I can think about nutrition in that. <laughs> and that's fear. That's, you know... It's so you absolutely yeah. yes yeah yeah it's really yeah. amazing isn't it it's so true yeah yeah well I feel like we could talk about so many more things but we've got to wrap things up here it's been amazing just to you know hear a couple of just really kind of main things that that I'm taking away from this is like the tools don't work unless you actually have that trust <laughs> and just how important the autonomy is because even for myself like I know better like I you know I've been doing this for for a while but even with my son like sometimes it's really hard not to intervene in in different ways just you know whether that's through just making a comment like are you going to take a bite of some of the broccoli like which is is kind of benign but also maybe not you know (laughs) so um, yeah (laughs) totally 
Yeah. And, uh, and just to like really give them that agency. And I love everything you said about that sense of belonging as well, because that's probably something that I know personally probably haven't given as much thought to is just that sense of like community, that sense of belonging as it relates to food. So where can people find more of you? Oh, thank you. Just my website is the best place to find out more or contact me from, which is www.emmawright.co.nz down here in New Zealand. (laughs) Yeah, I love it. That's amazing. And are you on social media too? Or are you mostly just... um... I am on social media, Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. But to be honest with you, Summer, I am on social media less and less these days. I love that. I know. (laughs) I'm trying to be too. (laughs) (laughs) So people are very welcome to contact me through social media if you have questions or want to get in touch. And I don't guarantee, get, you know, I used to be, if someone contacted me on social media, it would be an instant reply, but it could be a few days because I'm I'm just not there as much as I used to be. I respect that. I love it. I love it. And then do you know the name of your book yet? Have you decided on that? I haven't decided on the exact name and my working title at the moment, which I'm just trying out to see how it fits, is... Something along the lines of food, fear, and fat, raising decent human beings in a body-obsessed world. Okay. I like it. I like it. And then do you still have your course, like the Raising Confident Kids course? I do. That's kind of my signature course. So I have a, I have an online course with, that people can find on my website. And there's a, there's a kind of a free mini series you can download if you want to get a taste of it. And that goes through everything from, you know, setting up your home so that you're not getting into those power battles And then it goes into a much wider kind of parenting toolkit, if you like. So we look at, we don't just look at food and that relationship, even though that's a significant part of it. We also look at how to have conversations with teenagers when suddenly they wake up and they're not the individual that they were six months ago. And suddenly you don't know how to to talk to them or how to get them to listen or so there's lessons in that there's a whole section on sleep and because as we talked about today it's one of those things we can't make them do just like we can't make and how to get out and of way. social media too you know what's that sorry don't you have a part on social media too like in I, the, do, in your I do and which is really it's about A lot, it's really focused on how do we get our kids to be discerning with what they're watching so that if they see images that make them feel bad about themselves, they think something's wrong with what they're looking at, not, oh, there's something wrong with me, clearly. So that's kind of the premise where that that comes from and teaching them how to have power over it rather than us having to be on top of them the whole time and kind of self-manage. And we talk, there's a great, there's a section in there about looking at stereotypes and how to help kids spot anti-fat bias and diet culture. And it's honestly, it's one of my favorite things, Summer, is when my kids say things to me like, I've just unfollowed a TikTok talker. They were trying to body shame me. They just think thin people are better. And I'm like, Go girl, you know, that's a great thing for a teenager to know how to do. 
Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, it's so it sounds incredibly comprehensive, so and immensely valuable to people. So that's great. I'll link to that in the show notes too. Well, thank you so much for being here today, Emma. I feel like, like I said, we could probably do like ten episodes on all this stuff because it's so needed, and we barely scratched the surface. But I really, really appreciate you taking the time to be here today. Thank you so much. It's my absolute pleasure and lovely to connect. Even though, even though we had a few goes at trying to do that. So good. Yeah. Thank you. Rock on. I feel like we just scratched the surface there. There were so many other things that I wanted to talk to Emma about, but we'll have to just do another episode at some point in the future. You can find all the links and resources mentioned at summerinandin.com forward slash 228. Again, I just want to remind you that Emma has a Patreon if you are wanting to support the writing process of her book, which I'm super excited for because I think it's a necessary book that we need. And yeah, thank you so much for being here this week. Thanks for listening. Rock on. I'm Summer Inanin, and I want to thank you for listening today. You can follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Summer Inanin. And if you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts, search Eat the Rules, and subscribe, rate, and review this show. I would be so grateful. Until next time, rock on.